Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Please be seated. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't God good? I just love God so much. Kevin and Donna, welcome home. We missed you for three weeks. Good to have them home. And uh, many people I know are on vacation. Some might have even slept out, stepped out to the air show today. Can you imagine going to the air show and not church? But that's besides the point. <laughs> Praise God. Bless them. Bless them. Let them be church at the air show. Amen. Um, we might be slipping out a few of us right after the service, too, to run to the air show. So uh, let's just pray for the accident that was there yesterday afternoon. There was five people injured in a little airplane. It wasn't the air show. It was a private plane taking off afterwards. Just, Father, we pray abundant mercy upon them, Lord, the two that are critical. We pray, Lord God, that this will be an invitation for the supernatural power of your Holy Spirit to come upon them. We don't know where they are spiritually in any way, but it doesn't matter. You love them, Father. You love them, and we just pray blessing and miraculous healing power upon them, and that the right people will speak with them and encourage them and exhort them, we pray in Jesus' name. And all the people said, amen, amen. Uh, yeah, culture of honor, it's an interesting thing. Um, it's uh, all through scripture. It's in the Godhead. It's all in the angelic realm. The worst culture of dishonor we ever saw was Lucifer rising up against God. He didn't understand the culture of honor. The reality is, is I pray that we exude it. It's not about who's right, who's wrong all the time. If it is, then we're looking at divisional perspectives. And a few things that the Lord gave me again during worship, I just keep getting these things and... Uh, Something that Justin actually said uh, about manure and fertile ground. And I thought, yeah, go for it, son. That's awesome. He is my son. And uh, uh, I just felt like the Lord said, most fertile ground had to have manure spread on it first. Something had to either fertilize that ground somehow or another. Whether trees died, something died or it smells like something died. How many of you have driven through Matsqui recently? Uh, I had the windows open the other day and I drove through Matsqui and I'm like, whoa, let's put the windows and AC on. They were spreading like something had died. It was the, it was the milk cows, they, had, they probably didn't die, it was just their manure. Because sometimes the manure in our own lives is what we do with lies and, uh, lies and false accusations against us. We can succumb to the opinions of people or we can turn their false opinions into a manure that actually strengthens us. It actually makes us more productive. We sing. We were singing today. I'll stand and everything is yours. I'll stand and everything is yours. We sang it today. So in reality, our opinions of somebody else's, it really needs to be God's opinion, because if it's not, then what we're doing is we're standing, but not everything is his. Listen to me. When I have an opinion about somebody, and it's not God's opinion of them, then it's my opinion, and then I haven't given everything to God. <laughs> If I have given everything to God, then his opinion is my opinion. And I would look at every one of you. If I start looking at you and, and just calling out everything wrong in your life, look at you and say, well, you're just a mess. 
you're just garbage, you're just this, you're just that. I'm not speaking. I, I'm standing, but I'm not giving everything to him because I'm holding on to my perspectives and my opinions. And I feel like the Lord wants that shift to go radically big and fast. That really my opinion of you or your opinion of me really is none of my business and it's none of yours what I think of you. And I say this for a reason because it's so easy for us to focus on a person and become judgmental in an opinion perspective. But then you have not given everything to God. I'm not saying you can't see wrong in someone, but if God has shown you wrong in someone, it's for the purpose of you to pray for them and stand with them to bring them into liberty. Most of us adults, we know when something's wrong. We have a sin in our life. We pretty much don't need 50,000 or 500 million Christians telling us that. We pretty much know. But in family, things we can do in family come with the culture of honor and respect, not to become better, but to encourage and lift up. So we sing, I'll stand and everything is yours, God. Well, let's give it to him or else don't stand. (laughs) Words are cheap. The word cost big price. And that price was paid for you and me to speak truth, because that's where we find the liberty. We sang, come back to our first love. Come back to our first love. What is your first love? Because whatever your first love is will allow it to dominate you. So if your first love is God, if we're singing that and meaning it that it's God, then God will dominate you. Everything you do becomes Christ-like. But if your first love isn't, then we're only singing. But whatever your first love is, whatever your main love in life, whatever is driving you in life will become your lifestyle. And if we just come to church and expect a happy, joyful message, then we're actually coming for wrong reasons. We have to come to hear truth because we all know that truth sets us free. And that's why I'm teaching about the lifestyle of a worshiper. So many people try to do great things without the lifestyle of a worshiper. And so they feel they need to speak into everything. But the lifestyle of a worshiper grabs the father's mantle and strikes the water to walk on dry ground. Kevin was talking about we are to speak to the waters that are piling up. And I thought immediately of my message. We're to speak to the mountains move. But if you speak to those things without the heart style of a worshiper of God then you speak words without the ability to make them actions. And my heart and prayer as a leader, one of the leaders in this church, one in this ministry, internationally, is that we grab an understanding of identity through Jesus Christ, of who we are created to be, so then when we speak, it's his words coming forth. And I will guarantee you, then the mountains will move. Then the rivers will part their ways. Amen. Lifestyle of a worshiper. I'm in the fifth section. I usually, again, minister this message in one message, and it's taken me five to get to this point. We talked about victory. As a worshiper member, worship is not a a speed of song. 
Worship is a lifestyle that we have to choose. It's not an emotional feeling, an emotional expression. It's a choice which will create an emotion. It's like love is not an emotional expression. If it is, you'll constantly go after an emotion for love. And that's what happens in the world. They're constantly looking for something to bring them the satisfaction. But in God, you live the satisfaction, which brings the emotional consequences or joys of it. And so we talked the first Sunday, uh, five Sundays or six Sundays ago now, but I'm in my fifth. Victory, where Jehoshaphat sent praise before the army that had come against him, and that army that came against him killed themselves. So we know that victory is by praise. Heart style of a worshiper, victory is by praise. Look to someone to your left and say, victory is by praise. Why do I say that? Of course, we have the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. That's the ultimate victory of salvation. But that should create a spirit of praise. If it doesn't create a spirit of praise, then I wonder whether or not we understand the victory of a risen Lord and Savior. So, first thing, victory is through our praises to him. We came here this morning to praise God. We call it worship. I'm talking about a lifestyle of worship. That you don't have to be playing on a Sunday morning, singing on a Sunday morning for worship. You, you, you literally bring worship into this house and we praise as a family together. The second point was breakthrough. Because victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, victory, that joy in the morning, that joy is our strength that victory brings breakthrough. And so many times we go after breakthrough to have victory, but it's backwards. We have to go after victory, lifestyle of victory, to actually have the breakthrough. Amen. Joshua, with yelling and praise, brought the walls of Jericho down. That was a big obstacle for the Israelite army, the walls of Jericho. Matter of fact, Jericho felt so secure in it, they just locked all the walls and sat in there. Well, guess what? You get a group of people hearing the voice of God and praising him and yelling in the praise. Did you hear a yell this morning? I know this man. That's a yell of praise. <laughs> Victory leads to breakthrough. Breakthrough leads to freedom. When Paul and Silas, you know, turn their prison into freedom. They're in prison, but they're not jailed. Like they're jailed, but they're not like a lifestyle of a prisoner. They won't let that happen. And so what do they do? They start singing and praising. And at midnight, the earth shakes and all the, uh, the, guard or the, the, the jail people were listening. And what happens? It becomes a whole conversion night. A conversion from the, the, the drab, depressed state of that prison or jail into the joy of the Lord and all these people coming to Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing. So whatever jail you have, find joy. Because it breaks you loose. It takes the chains off. The fourth thing that we talked about last week was deliverance. When King Saul had a distressing spirit from the Lord because of disobedience in his life, David sang to him and later became king. As soon as David would sing to the king with a distressing, distressing spirit from the Lord, that spirit would leave the king. Saul didn't get his life correct, but David did because he was a worshiper. Now, today I want to talk about revelation. A lifestyle of worship will lead to revelation. When we praise and worship the Lord, but listen, so many of us want the revelation first. I've gone through four steps before I'm talking about revelation. First step was what? Victory, lifestyle of victory. 
which leads to breakthrough, which leads to freedom, which leads to deliverance of the evil spirits or the spirits against you, now brings in revelation. You realize most, people want, most Christian people want to go after revelation before they have victory, before they have freedom, before they have breakthrough. They want to go after, I want revelation. Why? The scripture even says in the last days, people will drive towards knowledge. So I want revelation, I want revelation. Yeah, but your lifestyle's not ready for revelation. First of all, you need a revelation of who you are as a son and a daughter of the king. When we grab that understanding, now we start to have victory in our life. Now we start to have breakthrough. Now we start to have freedom. Now we have deliverance, not of others, but of us, with the spirits against us. Go after the spirits against you before you ever go after someone else's spirits. Now we have revelation. When we praise and worship the Lord, we receive revelation of God's will and purpose in our lives. You know, how many people have come to me, you know, man, I, what, I want God's will for my life. Well, live a lifestyle of worship first. Victory, freedom, all this stuff leads up to the revelation of his will in our lives. Without it, we start to try to figure it out, but it won't make sense in our human mind's understanding. It has to come as a revelational perspective from God directly. In 2 Kings chapter 2 is when Elijah blesses Elisha with a double portion as Elisha was taken to heaven by a whirlwind. We know the story. Chariots of fire came down, separated Elijah and Elisha, and a whirlwind takes up Elijah. Right after that, prophetic sons of, of Bethel, they, they actually saw this thing happen. Elisha picks up Elijah's mantle and hits the water in the river Jordan, and he walked across dry ground. So he picks up his father's mantle. One of the words I actually had for this morning and during worship was, we need to pick up our spiritual father's mantles. And so many people don't have spiritual fathers. So many people say, well, the only father I have is God. Okay, call him a mentor. Call him uh, accountability. Call them something. But so many people get words of the Lord with zero accountability. And what they end up doing is blasting it out with no repercussions if they're wrong. We have to have an accountability. We need to pick up what men and women before us have done. I'm going to pick up what my parents did for over 50 years as missionaries. I'm going to pick up what my grandma and grandpa Borthwick did. My great-great-grandma, grandma, great-great-great-great-grandma and grandpa. I'm going to pick up whatever it was. I'm going to pick up what Billy Graham left in his passing. I'm going to go after. You're going to say, what, you're Billy Graham? I didn't say that. I'm just going after the mantles. What Bob Jones left, whoever left, what Bill Johnson carries as a papa of mine. What, what, did I see him as such a spiritual mentor? What Chris falls, I'm going to go after it. I'm going to pick up everything I can from these guys. Because I don't want to have to go through everything they did to get where they are. But there's something in every spiritual mentor's life that we as sons and daughters get to pick up. Go after it. Even if you don't sit eye to eye, I bet you some of my spiritual papas and mamas, if we sat down and talked about absolutely everything, we're going to have to come to agree to disagree on certain things. Not, not fundamentals, certain things. So Elisha picks up Elijah's mantle, hits the water, 
The River Jordan. What's happened? Here's the River Jordan in front of him. River separates. Elisha walks across. And 50 strong prophetic sons of Jericho now. Not the sons of Bethel, the prophetic sons of Bethel, but now the sons of Jericho. 50 prophetic men see what happens. And they're like, oh, oh, Elijah's mantle. Elijah's, the spirit of Elijah is on his son, his spiritual son, Elisha. And then they wanted to go find the body, remember, of Elijah. And what does Elisha do? He says, no, leave it alone. Leave it alone. Let's take a look at 2 Kings chapter 2, starting in verse 15. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 15. Now when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. This is such a beautiful picture of a, of a spiritual mentor. I call them spiritual papas. Whether they're female or male, they're spiritual papas. I call them fathers. Whatever you want to call them. I have an earthly father who's in heaven right now. He's an amazing man of God. Passed away at three days shy of 90 years old. Amazing man of God. But I've got all these spiritual fathers that speak into my life, my wife's life, and into this ministry. Not to mention the mamas and papas in our house of our own eldership that speak into us. And, and here's a beautiful picture that Elijah's mantle, because Elisha asked for double portion. He went after it. Can you imagine nowadays? Well, Elisha's greedy. He wants men... He should just go after God. He wants man's mantle. He should go after God. God is the mantle giver. God is his. You know what? Saints walk this earth. And we need to learn from godly men and women. We need to learn. And so here's Elisha grabbing exactly a beautiful thing. He grabs the mantle of a spiritual father. And what's the first thing he do with it? There's a river that he needs to cross. What happens? The 50 prophets of Jericho. So the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha, second part of verse 15. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Well, Elisha doesn't want him bowing. But if it's an honor, it's one thing. But this isn't Elisha. This is God resi power residing on Elisha. Verse 16, and then they said to him, look now there, there are 50 strong men with your servants. Please let us go and search for your master, lest perhaps the spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. Just bad prophetic. That's just bad words of knowledge, whatever you want to say. Here's Elijah, great man of God. So maybe the spirit has cast him out and we, it's honor for us to bury him properly, proper burial. So what does Elisha say? And he said, Elisha said, you shall not send anyone. Good answer, Elisha. Because Elisha knows he saw him going to heaven. And the spirit of the Lord is not going to throw his body back to earth. Verse 17. But when they urged him, so these 50 prophetics out of Jericho, but when they urged him till he was ashamed. What does that mean? They probably went after Elisha. Well, well, well you know what? You don't, want to, you don't want us to go because we're going to find a body and it's going to wreck your testimony. 
You don't want, you, you don't want us to go because, because you want to not have the answers, really. I mean, you, you're just, maybe you're not even true. Maybe, maybe I'm just throwing things in. I'm ad-libbing. But somehow, Elisha felt ashamed by the accusations that were coming at him. False accusations. And so what does the prophet say? Verse 18. Oh, sorry. Verse 17. End of verse 16. And you shall not send anyone. Verse 17. But when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, send them. For crying out, you grumbling group of men. Do you not understand what I'm carrying? I'm carrying the mantle that God gave my father, my spiritual mentor. Did you not see the parting of the water? But you see, the prophet's perspective from God is not to always go after people. It's never to go after them. It's to hear the voice of God. And many times when I preach about the prophetic, 90% of what we receive is never to be spoken. Pray about it before you speak it out. Bring it to the council of the prophets before you speak it out. Because once you speak it out, if you attach God said on it, and it's wrong, that's called blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. But when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, send them then. Not all gentle and nice, but a typical, typical prophetic response of frustration of the human mindset. Send them. You know how offended people would get? Half your church would leave. You mean he got offended? He sounds so offended. He was offended. Therefore they sent 50 men and they searched for three days but did not find him. Duh. Verse 18. And when they came back to him, for he had stayed in Jericho, he said to them, did I not say to you, do not go? In other words, you guys just wasted three days, guys. You ashamed me, and you wasted three days. Seriously? Was it that important? Next, very next in chapter uh, 2, verse 19, of, of 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 19, Elisha starts to pour out a bowl of salt. So from there, he goes straight into here. I'm building the background of the story I want to get to. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 19. And then the men of the city said to Elisha, please notice the situation of the city is pleasant and my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the ground barren. So now these men have approached him and said, hey, our, our water's really bad and the, the ground is no longer bearing, bearing produce. Verse 20, and he, he said, that's Elisha. And Elisha said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. How many of you know that if you salt over salt a plant, it's probably not going to live unless it's a salt water plant. It's a good way to kill things, pour a bunch of salt on it. But Elisha says, bring me a new bull. Why? Because things that God says to the prophetic realm don't make sense to the human understanding. So don't try to figure it all out. Bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the source of the water and cast in the salt there and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From, from it there shall be no more death or barrenness. Verse 22, And so the water remains healed to this day according to the word of Elisha, which he spoke. 
Interesting, it was according to the word of Elisha. Whoa, that messes us, doesn't it? It's kind of like an apostle's doctrine in the new covenant. The word of Elisha, he hears from God, he speaks it out. But he's the one that's going to be held with that word. I want the word of Brent Borthwick to be truth. I don't want to speak out wrong things to people because I get frustrated or aggravated at them. Right after this, the next, cha- next part in the chapter, chapter 2, verse 23 to 25. So here's Elisha. He just, his father, his spiritual mentor goes to heaven. He grabs a mantle, parts the water. The prophets are speaking to him. The, 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 salt is, or the salt goes into the water. Now he's moving to the next place. Chapter 2, uh, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 23. Then he went up from, from there to Bethel, and he was going up the road. While he was going up the road, some youths came from the city and mocked him and said to him, Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. You see, Elisha had problems growing hair. He had a bald, most scholars would say he had a balding patch on the back of his head. But in the biblical days, long hair was common and actually a sign of authority and a sign of great things. But Elisha couldn't do that. He couldn't grow it. And here's young people totally out of the culture of honor to the prophets. And and they're up here, this whole group of young people. Hey, go up, you bald head. (laughs) Who in their right mind has the guts to do that? Well, in today's mannerisms, what it is, is when I hear people come against, let's say, Bill, Papa Bill Johnson, you're like a group of young people worried about balding, even though Bill doesn't have it. And we need to be so, so careful on what we speak out about the men of God and the women of God that are assigned and ordained by him to do the works of the ministry. And we need to get out of the mentality that our opinion actually really matters. Our opinion doesn't matter. His opinion matters, and that's it. If I think you're ugly, it doesn't matter. But I'm not going to tell you that because I want to see you how he sees you, and he sees you beautiful. Social media has given too much freedom to give our opinions of each other. Like, seriously, people. Oh, you want joy? I'll smile (laughs) when I say it. Is that better? Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. (laughs) When I had long hair, go up, you long hair hippie. (laughs) Now I have short hair. Go up, you short-haired hippie. You should keep your long hair. You have more anointing with the long hair. And I have other people saying, you had less anointing with the long hair. Now you have more anointing with the short hair. I'm like, you know what? I don't really care. I grew my hair for a purpose. God spoke to me about it. And you know what? It was to actually break the religious spirit off of the religious people. And you know, the only people that were bummed out about my hair was never the unsaved. I had more unsaved say, 
you're a pastor? I've never seen a pastor. This is amazing. And boom, we get to lead them to Jesus. But they're religious. I was at a, speaking at a conference in Mexico with a group that I didn't normally speak with, but they have 6,000 churches, and they asked me to minister with that. A year or two ago, someone was with me. Was it? Someone in here was with me on that trip, and, and I had my long hair. They didn't know that I was actually their speaker. And it was a whole group of about 400, 500 pastors. And you should have heard the rumors I heard while I was sitting in the green room before ministry. My senior pastor that that we work with in Mexico, uh, Pastor Adonis, he came to me and he said, you know what these guys are saying? One, you don't have a tie. And two, you got long hair and they don't want to let you up on the platform. I said, praise God. Oh, I'm glad I have long hair right now. (laughs) And I'm glad I left my tie in Canada. But you know what? The man that brought me in, his brother and him are the senior leaders of 6,000 churches. You were there, that's right. And wow. Once people look past the appearance of a man, and go after what God's going to bring, it was powerful, and they loved it. Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. Verse 24. So he, that's Elisha, turned around and looked at them and pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Whoa! But that was Old Covenant. I'm just reading the Old Testament right now. That's it, okay? You pick out what you want. He turned around and cursed them, basically for their complete disregard and lack of honor of the gift that he picked up called the mantle of Elijah. It's so typical. When the miracles start flowing as Elijah's Elijah's miracles just started flowing because of the mantle, because of the double portion, what happens? the religious, the the people that don't want change or don't have it for themselves, ridicule him. He turns around and he curses them. I don't say do that, please. Don't turn around and curse people. That's a bad thing. But he got so frustrated. And what happens? He pronounces a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And two female bears come out of the woods and maul 42 of the youths. Can you imagine if that happened today? That would make news. This guy is the devil. Then he went out, from the Mount, went out from there to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. Now the text that I want to talk about. So this is where Elijah's state of mind, his process leading up to the text I want to go after. <laughs> In Ch- the, the three kings of Israel, Judah, Israel, and Edom. Sorry, the three kings of Israel, Judah, and Edom went to battle against the king of Moab. They faced a great danger when they ran out of the water for their troops. They sought the mind of the Lord from the prophet Elijah. So let's read this, okay? 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 1. 2 Kings 3, verse 1. Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel at Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned 12 years. Now Ahab, the king of Israel, had a really bad track record. He no longer was following the ways of God. 
He literally brought up the, uh, 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 a man, uh, like a, uh, built a thing of stone to, to celebrate Baal. He was definitely not after God anymore. Verse 2. And he did evil. This is, this is the son of Ahab. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and mother. For he put away the sacred pillar of Baal that the father had made. So at least the new son, the king, the new king, the son, was doing a little bit less bad as the dad. But how many of you know a little bad is just bad? A little sin is still called sin. But it's not as bad as the... Oh, really? Well, whose mind's figuring that one out? So, verse 3. Nevertheless... He persisted in the sins, so the son of Ahab persisted in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. He did not depart from them. Verse 4, now Misha, king of Moab, was a sheep breeder, and he regularly paid the king of Israel 100,000 lambs. He regularly paid the sinning king because Moab was in sin. And so they had grabbed things from Moab, started worshiping, so, so now the king of Israel... Is, is literally living and worshiping idols and thank false gods. Uh, and so the king of Moab would, would regularly pay the king of Israel, the sinner, 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. That's a lot. Verse 5. But it happened when Ahab died that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. He didn't like the son. Maybe something wasn't going the same way as Ahab and this king of Moab made a decision. Verse 6, and so King Jehoram went out of Samaria at that time and mustered all of Israel. So here's the son mustering all of Israel because now the king of Moab no longer likes him. Verse 7, and then he went and sent to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, saying, now the king of Judah was actually doing pretty good. Still had a good reputation with God. Things were, things were still happening. But the king of Israel was off. So the king of Moab, so the king of Judah, he went, sorry, he went to, the king of Ahab went to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, saying, the king of Moab has rebelled against me. We will go, we, will you go with me to fight against Moab? What was the rebellion? The guy's not paying me what he paid his, my dad. I'm not getting the 100,000 sheep and the 100,000 ram's wool on a regular basis. And so the king, the son, says, Moab's rebelled against me. I'm not getting what my dad had. I'm not getting. And so it's a rebellion against me. Oh, I tell you, it just sounds so common in Families and marriages and the church structure sometimes, believers against each other. I'm not getting my way, so everyone is rebelling against me. So the king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? And he said, I will go up. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Verse 8. And then he said, which way shall we go? And he answered, by the way, by way of the wilderness of Edom. Verse 9, so the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. Three kings now gathered all their armies, and they marched on the roundabout route seven days. 
And there was no water for the army, nor for the animals that followed them. Seven days out of water in hostile territory. Verse 10. And the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings. So remember, the son of Ahab is now saying, he's now prophesying about the God he hasn't been serving, nor his parents. Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Well, the reality is, dude, you've been living in sin and you're following the footsteps of your sinful dad and mom. Now you've gathered people around you to help you fight the army that has come against you. Basically, they cut off the finances and you feel that that's offensive. And so now you're fighting, you're going to go fight these guys, but somehow or another you took the long road around. Doesn't it just sound like God? We're actually not going to let you fight that battle yet until opportunity comes for me, says the Lord, to deliver you even when you're wrong. It's amazing. Verse 11. But Jehoshaphat said, now you got to remember, Jehoshaphat's actually doing good. His kingdom's doing well. Is there no prophet of the Lord here? In other words... King of Israel, you're no prophet. You're no prophet I'm going to listen to. Because all you have is false things in you. So Jehoshaphat says, I'm not going to agree with your bad prophecy. Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? So one of the servants of the king of Israel, listen, the king of Israel, one of the servants of the king who just prophesied they're all going to die. One of his servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Oh, hold it, there's this Elisha guy. Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here. We poured water. Who poured water on the hands of Elijah? Verse 12. And Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. Not you, king. You're messed up. But it's with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, so all three kings went to Elisha. And Elisha said to the king of Israel, the bad guy, what have I to do with you? Can you imagine? (laughs) Here's Elisha on fire for God. And here's a king that can kill him instantly, but is completely in sin. What, What on earth are you doing here? You're the last person I'm expecting to see right now. Seriously? Like, you need to just get your little behind out of here. That's not what he said completely. I just had living there. He says, what have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. Why don't you go to the ones that, that, that literally have been speaking blasphemy against the God? Why don't you go back to those ones that you are destroying God's chosen people over? Because you want the pleasures of man more than you want the true word of God. Because you want the fame and fortune for yourself without giving God the credits. Go back to the people you listen to because they're all wrong. But the king of Israel said to him, no. (laughs) For the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of the Moab. Moab. Now, now, Now the bad king living in sin is... Still got this whole prophetic insight of false things. 
And he's saying it to Elisha. When you don't live as a worshiper in your lifestyle, your prophetic will always be doomsday, negative, slandering, accusations, and lead, and you will be led by your opinions, not God's. Listen to me. Please have mercy on me, Lord. When you don't live in the lifestyle of a worshiper of God and your true love is something other than God, your prophetic will be doomsday. You're going to hear the doomsday prophets coming out. You're going to feel that you have a gift to slam someone else that you're in disagreement with. Oh, boy. Your prophetic will be doomsday. You're going to have a negative twist in your life. You're probably going to have slander about other people behind their backs. You're probably going to drum up accusations about other people that are false. And you'll be led by your opinions more than by the voice of God. And King Israel, the king of Israel's prophets probably agreed with him. Except one that said, what about Elisha? Verse 14. And Elisha said, as the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand. Who is he standing before? Three kings. Oh, sorry, he's standing before the Lord. Sorry, before whom I stand, surely. So in other words, I'm not standing in front of kings. I'm standing in front of the king. The king is in front of me. I see three men. Surely, were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. Because I actually respect Jehoshaphat, I see you and I'll look at you. Verse 15, but now bring me a musician. <laughs> bring me a musician. Listen. And my Lord provides my daughter a worshiper. Bring me a musician. You want your kids to be worshipers? Then live one first yourself. You want your kids to go farther? Then be an example for them first. And when you screw up, admit it. You know how many times I've come to my kids? I'm so sorry I lost my temper. What? You lost your temper? Yeah, we were in like a Volkswagen van again. A Mexican van again. Water cooled, the first water cooled van again that ever they made, and it had an overheating problem. It had air conditioning, thank God for it, but it never worked. And we were on our way home from Southern Baja, a thousand miles south of San Diego, in like 45 degrees of weather. And I can't run the AC because it would overheat the engine. And so I got all the windows down. My wife, me, and my three little kids at that time. And I look in my mirror and they are red-faced from overheat. I'm sweating. It's hot. And they started to nag and share their discomfort first with each other 
and then with their mom and dad. And I remember I was in this most dangerous area. We had just climbed up what they call Devil's Hill because most people die going down. They lose their brakes and everything else. We had just climbed this thing up in first gear. Engine temperature off the charts. Sweating to death because there's no breeze and no wind. And I remember just before the top of that hill, I had heard enough. And I said the S word. In our family, it was shut up. That's the S word. Because our kids weren't allowed to, we weren't allowed to say that towards each other because it's actually degrading each other. I said, shut up. And I'm sure that they all thought we were all sinners at that point. My daddy's a sinner. But you know what? They were quiet. Sweating to death, red face. I guess little kids can't get rid of the heat as well as adults can. It's amazing they didn't pass out. They were looking a little loopy. Four or five minutes later, I'm sitting there in my anger and frustration that I'm driving a Volkswagen van again, Mexican plates with no air conditioning. I'm a missionary. Why on earth am I driving junk? And I felt the Lord speak to me because you chose poverty over riches. I went, what? That's another message. We'll teach it another time. But I'm serving 100%. You chose poverty. The poverty mentality over the riches and blessing of my kingdom. And I immediately turned around to my kids. I pulled off the side of the road. I said to Sharon and the kids, I am sorry. Dad was wrong. Oh, it's okay, Daddy. We love you. We're all crying, sweating to death. But now bring me a musician. Sometimes when we're called upon to give a word, or you're feeling in your heart to give a word, sometimes you need a musician. You need to spend some time in praising God and worshiping God first. I needed a musician before I yelled shut up at my family. The one swear word we told them not to ever say. Actually, a lot of swear words we told them never to say. They just didn't know any other word than the S word they called it. And then when they got into high school, finally after homeschool, dad, they're all saying the S word. What do you mean, shut up? No, it's another one. <laughs> like manure? Yeah. I needed a musician in that van. I need his presence every day. I need to praise him and worship him. I need to have a lifestyle of a worshiper. Because if I don't, I'm a grumpy, bitter prophet. I lived it, and there, people call that old school. I just call it pathetic. If I'm going to prophesy over you, it's going to be the goodness of God. It's going to be your future destinies. Oh, if you nag me too much, I, I, maybe I'll read your bad mail. How about that? Would that make you happy? Sometimes, I said this morning, sometimes... This gift, 
I wish I didn't have it, but I quickly said, oh no, God, thank you. I didn't want him to take him away, but I see things in people and sometimes it makes people nervous. Well, what do you see? What do you mean? You're hiding something? Just remember, it's never hidden in the eyes of God. Now bring me a musician. And then it happened when the musician prayed, played, that the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha. Oh, okay. It's a tough season in life right now. Bring me a musician. Well, you know what's so cool? This is a great musician. This is better. Sometimes we need to just spend some time with praise of God in our ears and on our lips. Sometimes we need to just stop being a know-it-all and be a learner again. Sometimes we need to just stop sharing our own opinions and just receive God's opinion of you first, personally. Because his opinion of each of you is beautiful. It's wonderful. It's love. It's joy. It's happiness. It's prosperity. It's growth. It's growing. It's victory. It's the lifestyle of a worshiper. And then it happened. Bring me a musician. And then it happened. And the hand of the Lord came upon him. Verse 16, and Elisha said, thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. So beautiful. When you want to know the will of the Lord, bring a musician. Soak in his presence first. Celebrate him. Don't Don't go into his presence. Well, God, you haven't done this and you haven't done that and I'm really upset about this and I need to speak fire and brimstone on this person because they're totally off and I need to go ahead and tell them my opinion of what I think they are. Actually, I need to tell them everything I think you said. You know what? Just hold your horses. Get the reins on your own self and hold yourself back. And get a worshiper. Get a musician. Get music in your heart. Get praising God. And you watch how your aggravated, ugly, spiritual interpretations of people disappears. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain. You're not going to see it in the physical. The physical doesn't mean nothing to me, says the Lord. What you're going to see is supernatural. You're not going to see wind. You're not going to see rain. Yet that valley shall be filled with water. So dig ditches in dry ground. In your valley right now. Dig ditches in your valleys of dryness. Dig ditches. And watch the supernatural miraculous hand of God fill them up with living, flowing water. You shall not see the wind. You shall not see the rain. 
but yet the valley will be filled with water so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. Also, you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city and shall cut down every good tree and stop up every spring of water and ruin every good place of the land with stones. Now it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered that suddenly water came by way of Edom and the land was filled with water. Let's stand. Some of you might have dry valleys. Some of you might feel you're battling an enemy that's too big. Some of you might feel Oh, wow, the Lord has put me through this to destroy me. Yeah, that's not going to happen. God doesn't want to destroy you. He actually wants to revive you. He doesn't want to see you depleted. He wants to see you overabundanced. The Lord doesn't want to see you depressed. He wants to see you overjoyed. The Lord doesn't want to see you poor. He wants to see you rich. The Lord doesn't want to see you sad. He wants to see you with joy. The Lord doesn't want to see you sick. He wants to see you healed. When we praise and worship the Lord, we soak in his presence. Whatever you want to call it, what's soaking? Don't don't worry about it. Whatever it is that, that you can put on some music or whatever or start praising him. Spend time with him even without music, but just start praising him. Don't look at all the things that have gone wrong. You start focusing on all the things that have gone wrong. You're going to live in the things that have gone wrong and are going wrong in your life. That's not a worshiper lifestyle. When we praise and worship the Lord, we create an atmosphere to receive divine revelation. Through that divine revelation, we receive God's divine guidance. And through that divine guidance, we receive God's promises in our lives. You see, we need a revelation of God. We need a revelation as sons and daughters in our life. We need a revelation of Jesus Christ, who he is, what he did, and he's alive today. We need a revelation of the Holy Spirit in us. God, if we don't, the only revelation you're going to have is the ways of the world. And I'll guarantee you, the revelation of the ways of the world, it's very, very simple. It's called hell. hell on earth I'm not living in hell I'm living in heaven on earth not hell on earth this world is not going to take me down because I have one that has given the victory I would actually encourage people to not share sometimes what you think you heard from God or prophesy unless you live in the lifestyle of a worshiper. I would encourage us, of course, we want to be in a a class where, where it's safe to practice each other, absolutely. But if you know that you don't have the lifestyle of a worshiper in your life, that you negative, you live in negative or depressed or you really, you, you watch the news all the time and you live in depression or, or you, you, you know, you think our prime minister, you spend all your life thinking about how bad the prime minister of Canada or the president of the United States is. If that's you, don't be prophesying at this point in time. Do you not think God knows what prime minister we have in Canada? Do you think God does not know what president we have in America? 
let's get on the bandwagon and elect somebody in to Canada with moral, biblical values. And if that's your battle and fight, then get after it. Like someone in our congregation went after political position to bring justice, truth, and righteousness to our great country. I would actually encourage you, don't share what you think you hear God from or prophesy to people unless you're in a lifestyle of a worshiper. Your opinions of me, your opinions of others have to be seen first through the eyes of a worshiper lifestyle. If you have an opinion about someone, first of all, call the musician into your life. Sit back and spend time in his presence and do what I, I did years ago and it changed my life, my prophetic life especially. As I was in the lifestyle, the heart of a worshiper and I'm listening to music, uh, even though I got a bad word about somebody, I said, oh Lord, open my eyes to see that person how you see them. And boy, did it change me. If you see each other how God sees us, you don't care that my shirt's untucked. You don't care what my hair is. You don't care. That's not the importance. The importance is that you see that God loves me even in my mistakes. Because I see such beautiful people in front of me. I can see right through that camera right now in the spirit of these most beautiful, amazing people that God sees as beautiful. Because a true worshiper lifestyle lives in victory, breakthrough, freedom, deliverance, and revelation. And so your conversations, your prophecies, your visions, uh, your dreams, if you're truly a lifestyle of a worshiper, your conversations, uh, your prophecies, uh, your visions, uh, your dreams, uh, your conversations, uh, your prophecies, uh, your visions, uh, your dreams, uh, will all have victory, breakthrough, freedom, deliverance, and revelation for the people. If your life and words don't have this, then you need to change it first in your own life and keep your mouth shut. Because we need to live lives of worshipers. If we don't, then we're gonna be biting each other's heads off all the time. We're gonna be looking at everyone's faults, problems, and issues and feel that it's our destiny and duty to tell them of their issues. I just want to tell you, that is not the culture of this house. The culture of this house is a stand on truth. Well, we're to go to our brother who's in sin and tell him. You know what? If you have a word in that person's voice, in that person's life, if you have a voice into their life, how will you know? By talking with them about it. If they shut you down, they'll either be in disobedience or your opinion won't matter to them. We need to have family and relationship. How do I go to my daughter? How do I go to my son-in-law, my son, my daughter, my wife? How do I go to my leadership? Because we've chosen to build relationship of trust, truth, honor, and integrity. Let's start lives of victory, breakthrough, freedom, deliverance, and revelation. Because next time, I'm going to talk about how this lifestyle 
puts the judgment on your enemies without you saying a word. Because there's no enemies in this house. In reality, there's no true enemies on the earth. Well, every sinner, no, they're not enemies. They're sons and daughters waiting to hear truth from you. They're waiting to see your lifestyle of truth being lived. Well, the demons and devils, oh, they're an enemy, but they have no power or authority. So I want to encourage us today. Let's choose worship lifestyle. Let's choose victory, breakthrough, freedom, deliverance, and revelation. Because if any one of those is missing in your life right now, it can never be because of man. It's because you have chosen to not live in the fullness of God's glory. Let's pray. Father, help me release the burdens that I sometimes carry. Help me release my opinions of people. I don't want them. I just want your opinions, Father. Help me, Lord, to have a voice into my own life and thought pattern, but also into the lives of the ones around us. I pray that everyone here today, that everyone will say, you know what? I might feel a little bit beat up right now, but I'm going after your truth, Lord. And I'm going after a lifestyle of a worshiper. And I ask you, Lord God, that each one of us here in this family called Windward, I ask, Lord God, this tribe called Windward, I ask, Lord God, everybody watching on TV, I ask, Father God, that our hearts will mold like wax on a hot, hot day, however that looks, that we will become clay on a potter's wheel, Father, that we won't be so hard and brittle in our own traditional understanding, but, Father, we will become moldable clay again, Lord Jesus. And that your hands will wrap around us like the love of a father. And you'll mold us into beautiful vessels as you are already. Molding us into beautiful vessels. To carry your anointing. Carry your power and your authority. Not for my name and my will be done. But so your name and your will is done and glorified. I pray that anyone here today that needs a shift and a change will say right now, I choose God first. My mind, I speak to you. My thoughts are no longer mine. I'm giving them to God. And let his thoughts be my thoughts. And all the people said.